Uh, if you're joining us late, happy Father's Day. If you're wondering what that smell is, it's 150 bags of beef jerky all opened at one time. Uh, we, we, we gave out some really nice chocolate for Mother's Day, and we thought, what can we do for Father's Day? And we said, how about beef jerky? Because there is nothing that says happy man's day like dried beef, right? And so if you didn't get some of that, you can get it on the way out. Uh, in fact, take all that you want. We don't need that stuff sitting around the office, and so we invite you to take that. Uh, we're in the middle of a series just kind of for our summer called Story. And uh, the reason we wanted to do this series uh, in the summer was that we wanted to empower you going into the fall, whether you're going back to school, whether you're going back to a campus that maybe you're home for the summer, maybe you're going uh, into the workplace, and we want you to go into any of those places, your neighborhood, empowered in a different way. And so we wanted to tell some stories because we want you to grab a hold of your story. We believe that everyone has a story, and you may be sitting here today going, well, I don't really have a story, or you may be thinking, well, my story's boring. My story is not going to be what James's story is. My story's not what Stephen was last week. That's okay. It's your story. And so we want you to lean into your story. We want you to be aware of your story. We want you to know that your story is going to have impact on someone in your circle. And so tell it. These stories are meant to be told. And so we said, you know what? Let's just tell some stories this summer. And so today I want to, to introduce you to James Corbett, and a lot of you uh, may know James. I'm going to guess that most of you may not know James, because James is a behind-the-scenes guy. Everything you see around you, uh, James is a part of that team, our setup team that comes in early, early, and uh, begins to set up and run wires and all sorts of things that, that makes our Sunday mornings happen. And so I got to know James probably about a year and a half ago, give or take, and uh, James come, came our way um, looking for kind of like some Connection, a church home, and, and I'm so glad that he found that here. And um, I'll tell you why I chose James to be a part of this. We live in the Bible Belt. I don't know if anybody knows that or not, but we live in the Bible Belt. And, you know, it's kind of a wrestling match between kind of Nashville or Dallas, who's the buckle of it. But we live in the Bible Belt. And so it's really hard sometimes to find someone, not who doesn't identify with church or Christianity, but it's hard to find someone sometimes that just flat out doesn't believe in God. And James walked that path all the way into adulthood being an atheist. In fact, it was so much so that he uh, even tried to convince others, hey, Lexan, this is, this is just not, it's just not in, in the cards. It's just not there. But as James unfolds his story and as he's unfolded it to me and others of you, uh, it comes with good reason. And you thought you had a good reason for not believing in God. And so that's kind of where I want to start this morning is I want to start with you talking about some things that really led you into early adulthood, going, there can't be. There's, not, not, not under these circumstances. And so just kind of walk us through some of those early, and we'll kind of get where we're going. But just start us, why is it that you had a hard time entering into early adulthood believing that there was a God, especially a God who could love you? Well, a couple of reasons for me, probably more than a couple, but my mother, by blood, is Jewish. For those who don't know, it's not a faith or religion. It's a bloodline if you're Jewish. Uh, best we can tell, lineage all the way back is Jewish until she married my father. Well, kind of like I told Jason, my father was the type of person we would have recommended throwing out. Okay. So I had a pretty rough childhood physically. Um, supposedly, I was the cause of all the strife in their marriage. I was born a diabetic. 
I was part of a testing thing a few, about 30 years back. They did the research and they only had three people ever recorded in history at the moment of birth being a diabetic, let alone 100% severity level. And back then they didn't have glucometers and all that stuff. So it was, I gave them a hard life. That's the truth. But because of that, according to them, they began to live their life fighting. They began to live their life. A whipping for me was not a swat on the backside or a belt. A whipping for me was at least an hour. I never do this. It's okay. Uh, usually included bruising, bleeding, whatever. But anyway, so I had that going on in the background. At the same time, because my mother married who she married, she was removed from the synagogue. So she, from that point forward, and I think Kenny, my wife, is correct, probably wanted me to be more agnostic and decide what I wanted to be. However, you could not say the word God in my house without being jumped. So basically, all I ever heard was all the bad things that God did to her was not allowed to go to church, and pretty soon the physical abuse, along with that, led me down a path that there could be no God. How could there be a God and this go on? I think I'm going to lose my voice. Um, so instead of just not believing in God... I wanted to prove to the world there wasn't a God. Because you didn't want the world to go through what you went through. Believing in something that wasn't there. So I actually was at one time reasonably decent in math and science. And that's where I lived. If you could ever prove anything about, that went against God, it had to be right there. And I dug, <clears throat> and I dug, and I dug. However, if you truly are into math and science and you deal in actions and evidences, it takes you down a different road than you plan. Because what I saw was absolutely every move we make, every breath we take, every time the world spins, every time the other planets do whatever, it doesn't matter. Any one or two things that go wrong, and it fails. And this is what we as human beings would call chaos. But the deeper I studied, the more I realized that means 100% of everything is nothing more than chaos. And how can that hold together? Which started opening my mind to you know what, there's got to be something or someone holding it together. And I learned to get out of those battles of Big Bang Theory or whatever. They started to not matter. 
What mattered was if absolutely everything can fail with just a little bit of something going wrong, who's in control? And you soon realize it ain't us. True chaos is what we try to make out of what we call chaos. So I learned that chaos was the true order, or what we call chaos. But it is on such a higher level that only God himself knows how to do it. Sorry, I had a very end. So once you reach that point, there's an understanding. There is a God. And you know, you look at scripture, if you want to paraphrase it, he made the world so that all would know there is a God. And so what, what we have is, and you and I talked about this, was that you have this early childhood and you have seen kind of what God was responsible for in the life of your mother. And then you see this, this chaos that existed in a massively dysfunctional home. In fact, you know, one of the things I remember you telling me was that you can remember kind of even being picked up and thrown into and through walls. and all. I mean, just this un- unbelievable situation. And then so you began to go, okay, there can't be anything or anybody, especially anybody who cares, in the midst of this chaos. And so then you begin to put some things in order. Okay, so in the midst of this chaos, there is order, and so now you're beginning to search for the author, the creator of that order, but you weren't finished no. with kind of, like, you, it wasn't like you went from there to here, right. and so I know that led you through some pretty pretty uh, soul-searching moments, but also there were still some moments, I think in Memphis and some other things, where you still couldn't let go, you were searching for community especially, yep. and so you didn't put together yet that this God of order has also created this, this line of salvation and redemption and community. And so what's going on in between those times? Right. What he's talking about is I'm 58. Those of you who are younger and those of you who are a lot older, uh, long about my, not high school yet, but slightly younger, is when the government actually decided they were going to enforce what they were supposed to enforce Years earlier, they were going to start busing, try to get the schools integrated. When they first started, I lived in Louisiana. During a time, bathrooms were still divided. White people could walk in and pick up food. Black people went in the back door. KKK still met on the corners and stopped your car, handed out literature. When Kenny and I got married, I was 96 pounds at 20 years old. You can imagine what I was as a kid. From there, we moved to Whitehaven in Memphis. That was a little worse. <laughs> I don't know if you have ever been to Whitehaven in Memphis. It's not a good place now. Um, so being a scrawny little, pardon the phrase, but white boy in Memphis during that time, it finally came down to if I'm going to stay alive, I had to find somebody. So I joined what was a, we would consider today just a small little gang of people. Back then, the big gangs weren't around yet, and it was a gang. Now, again, scrawny little kid, not much I could do for them physically, but the deal we worked out was if they needed something, I would get it for them. Shoplift it, steal it, didn't matter. If they needed to pass tests in school, 
I would figure out how to make that happen. Cheating, it didn't matter. They kept me alive in one way. I kept them alive in another. And we worked together through it. I'm still alive. So, not sure about them, but I am. <laughs> you know, when I first met James, I thought, you know, if there's ever a former gang member, right there is, is a former gang member. Uh, I mean, he just had a look. In fact, I told our guys that kind of watch our doors, I said, watch that guy. I'm pretty sure he's... Uh... <laughs> but, you know, what I heard in that, though, was that that awakened a thirst for community. I mean, you were obviously looking for um, provision, protection, belonging, those sorts of things. And so it, from that, again, God is working in the midst, to, 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 in the midst of chaos to, to begin to put some things in order. So we've got this math and science is leading you to there's got to be an authorship. Even this gang is leading you toward there's, there's, there's this concept that we are meant to live in community. And, and even though that community was was doing some things that, that were questionable or, or unethical, it was still for the good of that, of that community. And so, you know, what was happening was still, so you're awakening the thirst. And so what moved then from just, okay, there's this abstract belief that something, someone must be out there that's, that's in charge and kind of overseeing and spinning these things, regardless of how it got spun in the beginning, how, how we got there. So what, what began to lead you, to lead you toward, okay, maybe there's something to the God of Christianity. Maybe there's something to Jesus. Maybe there's something. So what happened, and I know Kenny was a big part of yep. that. And so like, what, what was that turning point, that defining moment in that? We moved to Hendersonville. And... No need for a gang in Hendersonville, No, right? no, no. Okay. Uh, no, it's pretty wide open. Um, but basically, there was a young lady who lived on my block that I kept trying to get and come out and talk. And her dad finally came to me one day and said, you know what, son, you need something to do. He got me a job where Kenny works. And she won't admit it, but she fired me about three times. <laughs> but she and I started dating. And we dated in secret because of our age difference and because of my parents. Um, and we finally moved, my family moved to Florida and I had to go. I had graduated way early, still a minor, and so I couldn't stay. Well, Kenny and I kept writing and home life was getting much worse. We were still writing, we were still planning on coming back together here. And finally, I decided it's going to happen. And what made that happen, Kenny was first reason. Second reason in my mind, I wasn't going to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. I knew I couldn't do anything, but he couldn't do anything while he's asleep. When you reach that point, it's decision time. So, left home, still a minor, severe diabetic, no insurance, no job. I walked into where Kenny was working, which is the same place where she was working before. And she walked me back to a boy that was washing dishes in the back I'd never met. She said, you're going to be living with him. He takes me to his home that night. We walk in, he says, Mom, Dad, 
He didn't even remember my name. He's going to be living with us. <laughs> Mom and Dad didn't know that. So they clear out a bedroom, and Kenny and I started getting closer and closer and closer till we were for sure engaged, and she invited me to come to church. I'm going to stop you there for just a second, because what I also hear is that God is shaping Kenny's story as well. Yep. This is not just a case of opposites attracting. These are extreme opposites. But she is seeing something in you that at this point you're not even seeing in yourself. And she leans into that, you know, that God is prompting her to go, hey, there's something to this guy. There's a redemptive quality to this guy. There's something that you, Kenny, are going to be perfectly matched in order to, 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 to redirect his story. And so here we have this, this moment. And so she's leading you towards Jesus. You don't even probably know that at the time. No, I'm thinking she's downright desperate. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, okay, so moving past that, um, Jesus now begins to kind of come into the space. Yeah. We won't say heart, but we'll say he's in the space now. Correct. Okay. Now, her family was two different people. Her father knew what I was and wasn't really happy. That's who Kenny latched on to. However, he took the path of, I'm going to take you in. I'm going to help you. Oh, he worked me to death on the farm. But I don't know if that was to keep me away from her or to help me guide my life. Now, her mother was just opposite. I don't know if she ever got to where we could say we loved each other, mm. you know. Uh, but it kept growing. And the more I saw what he was willing to do, knowing what I was, and the more I saw what Kenny was willing to do and put up with, then I started seeing something there. There's something more than a God who just simply makes the world spin. And it was through those two that started leading me to a, a faith or a belief. Now, it's still not the greatest in the world, but it's there. And one day, it just hit me, I want to be baptized, and I was. Her father told me that night, we've got a teenage class, you're going to be teaching it. And I tell you, go ahead. Now, just that, that in and of itself blows my mind is that, you know, you're coming out of the background that you, you, you're coming, you're new into faith and you're teaching, you're expected to teach. I mean, what a, what a, what a training ground that must have been. Oh, yeah. I looked at him and said, you understand, I don't know anything. He said, do you know why you were baptized? And I said, yes. He said, then that's all you got to tell. Tell your? Students. And tell, and your, tell, tell your story. Yeah. Right. So from there, it started growing. However, at the same time, I started taking the path. I think a lot of us, if not all of us, have taken at some point, you start relying on the words of men trying to tell you right from wrong in the church. And even though my base and my depth of knowledge was always dig in and find the truth, I was at a level of, well, this has to be the truth because look what it's doing for me. So I grew deeper and deeper into following what men taught 
and how they taught it and convinced me it was God teaching it. And I taught a lot of students. I taught for 30-something years, teenagers, young adults. However, I finally started realizing some things. If you ever want to learn about God, teach teenagers. <laughs> It'll teach you. And I finally started going in thinking, I'm understanding I've taken a wrong path. Not in following God, but in the way I was following God. Because it wasn't Him I was following. So I started changing the way I taught. I decided that my faith was not my faith. It was some man's. Because I was doing what I was told by some man. So I started challenging the students I had. Didn't care what topic they wanted to talk about. I was going to prove them wrong using scripture. And yeah, I twisted it. Did it on purpose. They knew it. I warned them. Because I wanted them to, whether I agreed with what they came to or not, I wanted them to get it out of deep study and be able to stand on it. So we did that. For years, we started forming small study groups. Uh, my daughter was a part of them. We didn't care what quote unquote faith or religion you were, come to it. And we did a lot of this and that. And they pushed me. I mean, they did. Mm -hmm. And when they finally got to the place, I couldn't twist it, I couldn't back them down. Again, I didn't care if I agreed with them. At that point, I knew they got it from their study, not my teaching. And so that was kind of this, like, almost like this second enlightenment almost. You know, you kind of had this, okay, we've got God now, and we, 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 we're coming into faith, but now we're going to move from just being handed something to actually developing something. Correct. And so we have this now faith that is leading uh, and I think one of the words you said, you know, you, it led you from really a legalistic view of God to now this loving, nurturing view of God where you go, hey, truth matters. Yeah. But truth in who God is and what he's done. And you and I talked a lot about this, too, is that all of that anchored. And I think, you know, your, your father-in-law had it right to an extent, too, when he said, hey, you know why you were, were baptized. You know why you came to faith. You know salvation. That's what matters. Uh, so now we're, we're getting into this place where it's all rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. It's, you know, and then so we begin to work out, and that shaped the way you taught. Correct. Yeah. However, I was in a very, very, very conservative church of Christ. Not to bash them, but that's where I was. Shepherds and I started having conversations. Now, those of you who haven't met Kenny, she's an extreme introvert, and she'll tell you, so I'm not saying anything. She won't. So now, she's already had to live life with me in the beginning. And now in classes, when I, I would always try to get out one of the semesters or quarters of the year and learn. Well, I started raising questions in class. And I could just feel her sink kind of in the seat. So she went through a lot during this too. But she'll tell you, good or bad, you will not intimidate me. That's something my childhood 
burned into me. From there, I started speaking with the shepherds. Being a teacher of 30 years at that building, when they had questions they couldn't settle, they would call me. And we would bounce things back and forth. Kenny again will tell you, I'd be driving up in the driveway from work and not come in for an hour because I'm talking with the shepherds about an issue they're trying to sort through. But I got to talking to them point blank and found, you know what? They agree with me on most of these. So I started just face to face. Then why aren't you teaching it? Typical answer was, people will leave. Now they know I'm not teaching any longer most of what comes out of up here. Matter of fact, I'm probably teaching against it. Yet when they would get hit with a class that they couldn't prepare for that quick, they would come grab me and ask me to teach it, knowing I was going to teach what they would not have. So then I started seeing the hypocrisy, which faces you with, okay, do I stay in it or do I take it head on? Well, I'm ornery, as we know. Uh, so you take it head on. And I finally had a meeting with them one night about something that happened. One of them stood up yelling and screaming at me. I came home to Kenny and said, I'm going to step down as a deacon. We're not on the same page. And I will keep teaching or whatever for a year to see if we can talk through this. Well, we couldn't. And I think Kenny started realizing at that point, I'm talking about her, which I probably shouldn't, but, and she was ready also. However, it gave a strength of, you know what? All these people I thought were wrong, I was. So it takes you to another level. Because you not only have to admit what you've done and taught, but you also have to realize we're not always right. We can read that Bible inside out, but how we read it inside out can determine who and what we become. And so that being willing to open up your heart and put it in God's hand, that's your next level. And I love, as we kind of wrap this up, I love that God is still moving you. You know, I think for some of us, you know, we're amazed at the, the beginning of the movement where God opened up a sliver just, just to begin to see order that led you to a belief in something that led to, but what I love to hear, and, and, and this is in my own life, you know, having been a Christian most of my life, you get to a place where you think you kind of got it figured out, but God is still moving in that, and that God is still saying, no, 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 there's still something more, not just to learn to, for, for knowledge's sake, but to know about me and how it is I want you to live out your story and those sorts of things. Um, I want to talk real briefly one more time or, or about another story um, and then we're going to pray over you. But there's been quite a medical story yeah. as well. And, the, and again, it could have been a moment where you go, okay, what I thought was a good God, again, seems to be not here. Like, where's he at in the midst of all this stuff? And so uh, tell us what's going on and, and kind of what has led right. up to that, and we're going to pray over you. Yeah, I'll skip through the, all but the last part quickly. Of course, I was born diabetic because I had the knowledge for so many years 
I was able to get in where they had an internal insulin pump trial, and I was their first patient. Through that, a surgery went bad, and I have Addison's disease, full-blown, uh, don't produce potassium or sodium. So I take steroids, which is the number one enemy of a person with diabetic, that's a diabetic. I've had 90% blockages in my heart, open heart surgery, had a full pericardectomy. I also have what's called tracheobronchiomalacia. My trachea from just below the vocal cord has what's called mild malacia. It's where the rings that keep it strong have weakened to the point they're collapsing. It has mild. From there down, including the bronchial tubes on both sides and both lungs, are at severe, have 100% collapse. That's why you hear my voice change when I talk. Sometimes I've got to stop and get water. Uh, I got so bad because they didn't know what it was that they we finally rushed me to Vanderbilt. The only thing they knew to do was put me into a medically induced coma. They did a quick pericardectomy thinking that was it. That's where you take the entire lining off your heart. It wasn't it. The surgeon came out and said that wasn't a problem. Told Kenny, if I remember right, I would not live through the night. For 27 days, I believe, she can tell you the number, they kept me in the coma. I told them two days, but they kept me in it anyway. And my family watched doctors come in with students, and every day here, this man will not live. We're keeping him comfortable. They finally pulled the plug, and I lived. Uh, however, until you've had a doctor look you in the eye and say you have six weeks, you don't truly understand where you're at with God. And I had that. They wanted to put me in Stallworth. I refused. Told them somebody greater was in charge. Kenny works at a physical therapy place. They worked on me for months. However, for the next 10 years, every doctor's visit, the nurses took a moment to say, you understand, it's any day. When you face that for 10 years, you reach a point you gotta say, I have to realize the truth in what I believe. So for me, I look back upon my life and realized, been through a lot. Comas, because when I was young, I had comas like a lot of them. And near heart failure, pneumonia is a daily thing, uh, major surgeries, Addison's disease, I have been in oxygen deprivation at some level. So many times even doctors don't have a clue anymore. But through all of it, every time I go in for an x-ray, I go in for a CT, someone looks at my history, it always leads back to a discussion of God. Me doing nothing. I've even had one that his wife had left him he was pulling his child out of church because he was losing faith. He saw my story, and we started talking. He later came to our house. We talked in the driveway and said, I'm taking him back. And what I learned, we like to think we're characters in God's story. We're not. At least I don't believe it. I don't believe it's God's story, and this is my part of my story 
when I taught teenagers and young adults, out of all the things that happened to me, there is not a single one of them I did not need to have in my tool belt to help someone. I couldn't fix them, but it gave me the tools. And I saw that it's not two separate stories. Christ and I and God, the Holy Spirit, are in one story. And it's the same one. And from there, I lost my faith in God. I lost my belief there was a Christ and in the Holy Spirit. And it became a knowledge. I don't believe it anymore. I know it. Because of the life he's allowed me to live. It didn't matter what happened to me. When the worst of times came, 100% of the time, he provided. And James, what I know is this, is that God is still writing your story. There's going to be more to tell. He's still partnering with you in that. And, and I know that you'll continue to tell. And so I want to invite our shepherds up. I know this is kind of last second. But if you're, if you're one of our shepherds, come on up for just a second. I want to pray. James has a really, really big week. He was actually scheduled to do later in the summer, and we moved it. Um, because he is going to be going to Boston, and thank God for new technology. And, uh, but they're going to go through a, a major, major, major procedure. Uh, what, Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Where they're going to go in in several different points and uh, strengthen that, that tube. And what we're hoping in that is that that allows you. And if you're around James for a minute, especially when we're setting up, you know, there's just really hard to breathe sometimes. And you can see this morning just, you know. Uh, and so that's a, you went to do some testing last month and they yep. approved it and said, hey, we think we can do this. And so he's going up to Boston to a specialist who uh, kind of uncharted territory a little bit. Yeah, and, they, they've uh, not done very many people. They've yeah. done 200 total at different levels. Yeah. So it's, a, it's not a cure, but it's a help. It's a help, and so we're going to pray that God uh, just works through those surgeons and, and works through uh, all the, the people in Boston. And again, we look forward to hearing. You'll be there about a month and then uh, back, and so we look forward to hearing the next chapter of your story. And so thank you for sharing your story this morning. And, and again, there's just so many nuances in this to say that it doesn't matter where you are in the belief that no one is too far gone. No, no there, you can be in a complete vacuum of belief and that God is still working on behalf of and, and he's going to continue to do that. So I want to pray for you and, and uh, just thank you again for sharing this morning. Father, this morning we pray that you would act on behalf of James again. Not for the first time. God, this is not even the hundredth time. But that you would act on his behalf again as he goes to Boston to get a procedure that we know is not a cure, but it is a help. And so, God, we pray that it would relieve some of his breathing issues and maybe the regularity in which he can't breathe. Or, or God, we pray that it cures it completely. But, God, if not, we pray that he gets some relief um, so that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the doctors are still going, I don't get it, I don't get it. And we'll go, but we do, we do. Because there was a God who put things in order that even in the midst of chaos continued to present order, presenting good things. And, and, and so, Father, we just pray this is another chapter in the story. 
So be with everyone involved. Be with Kenny as she travels with him and that long stay in the hospital that, that uh, she would be just such a, a minister and encourager to, to him as, as she has been for so many years. We thank you for the life that he has lived to this point. We thank you for what's coming next. We thank you for uh, his willingness to question. We're, we're grateful for his willingness to listen we're grateful for his, his ability to decipher what is, what is right and wrong, what is of you and what is not, and all of those things, God, culminating into him walking into complete faith and knowledge, even in the midst of these moments to come that are really scary the next few days. So thank you for his story. Thank you for his journey, and thank you for the opportunity to hear it this morning. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. You guys, thank, thank uh, James and his story this morning. As we, uh, as we land kind of this morning, I just want to say, and this is what I took from his story as we listened and I took from it even this morning, was that life without chaos is impossible. And you may be looking at your life and going, okay, God can't be working in this moment because it's chaotic. And if you're expecting that faith is going to lead you to a life that is unchaotic, that is void of chaos, I'm sorry, but you are going to be massively disappointed. And in these moments that chaos has continued to ensue in James's life, what it didn't do was wreck his faith. It continued to build his faith because the second part is this, is this that life with God makes it possible to experience meaning in the chaos. Chaos is not going to leave your world because you believe in God, because you surrender your life to Jesus. But what will happen is God will show up in the midst of that chaos and begin to make meaningful moments happen. Growth will happen. Transformation will continue to happen. And here's the question that we got to leave with today is this. Can we trust God in the moments of chaos? Can we trust God leading us into a procedure that we don't know a whole lot about in Boston, Massachusetts? Can we trust God in the moments where we're being thrown against the wall? Can we trust God in the moments that has, where life has unfolded some really unimaginable scenarios and situations where you go, what in the world is going on in my life? And I don't see any way out of this. I don't see good coming from this. I don't even see good in the midst of this. Can we trust God in those moments? See, the question is not, how do I figure out how to live without chaos? The question is, can I trust God in the midst of the chaos? And Jesus in John 16 is talking to his disciples in some moments of chaos. Jesus is days away from the cross, and he has gathered in his disciples, he's gathered in his closest friends to kind of give them the, the last hoorah. And he wants to pray over them, but he, he's about to tell them that, guys, <laughs> the world's not going to get any better. Chaos is not going to be suddenly disappearing. No, it's about to get really chaotic. And he gives them some encouragement. I just want to leave this morning with this. He says in John 16, he says, A time is coming. In fact, it has come. It's here. It's present where you will be scattered. Chaos will ensue. He said, each to your own home, and you will leave me all alone. But I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. 
And he says, I've told you these things. And what he's talking about, he says, I've told you not just the things I've told you in this conversation, but he says, look back, look at how I've ministered, look at everything I've said, look at everything I've taught, think back to the Sermon on the Mount, think of the miracles, think of all these interactions I've had. He says, you have seen all of these things. Why? So that you may have peace. Not a utopia. Not this moment where everything is is hunky-dory. He says, no, you can have peace in the midst of what is happening, but also what is to happen. And then he says, he drops this truth bomb on us. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. You go, hold up, Jesus. I thought you were supposed to. No, he says, listen, if you're coming to me to rid yourself of the chaos, you're going to be rudely awakened. He says, you will have trouble. You will have these moments where you can't breathe. You will have moments where, you know what? Family isn't what it's supposed to be. You'll have moments where finances are a wreck. You'll have moments where a health report just wasn't what it was supposed to be right now at this time. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, take heart. Now, I may not deliver you completely, not because I can't. I may not rid you of all the chaos, but I'm telling you, I'm with you. I love that Jesus says, you're going to leave me, and you think that you're leaving me alone. But he says, oh, I'm not alone, because my Father is still here. And James, your father, was there when your father was throwing you against the wall. And your father was there when you were participating in gang life and God was there when you were working the fields with your father-in-law God was there in the moment of severe diabetes God was there in the midst of you questioning faith in Jesus God was there when you questioned faith the second time through is this really faith or is this just something I've kind of participated in God was there When you were diagnosed, and God will be there this week. When those surgeons open you up and give you relief. God is there on Father's Day in every single story in this room. Because that's who God is. And so in these moments when uh, we think, God, you can't be here because life's chaotic, Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome. So life without chaos is impossible. But God's going to make it possible for you to understand meaning. And you may not understand it at the moment, but you'll look back over your story and go, wow, when that was being written, I had no clue. But I do now. Everyone has a story. Your story is continuing to be written so that you can tell it. Father, this morning as we are living in the midst of our story, and I love that James said that it's not my story and God's story that compete for these moments, but it's our story. God, we are all living in this together. And so, God, I pray that you take James's story and you, you intertwine it with mine as 
I pray that you take the, 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 the stories of the disciples as they're hearing these words that we said today for the first time that God you're just you're meshing all of this together in, in what is a great story of you and your salvation your redemption your provision your protection so Father this morning I pray as we continue to learn the value of story as we continue to become more and more aware of our own stories that we begin to understand the importance of sharing those things because we share in life. I pray today, God, that someone was here that said, you know what, I don't even know why I'm here. I mean, my life is, couldn't be any more of a wreck. That God, they heard that order is still intact. God, I pray for somebody who has been here for years and has been doing this. I pray that, God, you have moved them into going, you know what, I do need to get more in tune with who God is and not just what he is. God, I'm so grateful that you have the ability, but you also have the desire to work in each of our lives individually as you work collectively for the good of your kingdom. So God, continue to help us find our story. Help us to continue to live into and lean into as you write our story. Help us to trust the authorship of the story. And then give us the courage to tell that story pray this through your son's name, who gives all of our stories the true meaning.